Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. During his ministry, Witness Lee emphasized the experience of Christ as life and the practical oneness of the believers. He was unbending in his conviction that God's goal is the body of Christ. Through his messages, he stressed the importance for us to grow in life and to function as Christians so that the body can build itself up. We're happy to bring you recorded portions from his ministry today, along with some of our own thoughts. And we welcome your comments and questions. You can reach us toll-free at 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Now let's join today's program. On the day of his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross for six hours, from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon. During the first three hours, he suffered mocking, slander, and humiliation at the hands of all manner of men, even those he was dying to redeem. But beginning at 12 noon, something remarkable happened, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is interpreted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? During the final three hours of his time on the cross, the Lord Jesus was no longer being judged by evil mankind. He had taken upon himself the sins of mankind to such an extent that God the Father even had to turn away from his beloved Son in righteous judgment as Christ offered up himself an eternal sacrifice for all. As believers, we cherish this story and never tire of hearing it. But beyond its message of redemption and hope, this story also bears consideration for what it says about the inner relationship of the three divine persons in the Godhead. Ron Kangas has joined us as we consider these verses from perhaps a slightly different angle than we normally do, though they're marvelous verses from any standpoint, aren't they, Ron? They are, and your introductory fellowship points us in the direction of the intrinsic significance of this word from the cross, a quotation from Psalm 22, and then suggests how this involves the inner relationship among the three in the Godhead. And it's necessary for us to consider the Lord's statement in this way, lest we fall into a rather serious error Mm. due to misunderstanding and to anticipate what will come forth, but only to state it briefly, if we think that God in every sense abandoned the Lord Jesus and that he hung there on the cross merely as a man with his human nature, this will lead us into rank heresy concerning his work of redemption, because that concept would imply that Jesus died as a mere man. Right. And that's contrary to 1 John 1, 7, which speaks of the blood of Jesus, God's Son. Uh, Two other comments. First, it's necessary in trying to understand the best we can 
in the light of Scripture, this statement by the Lord that you just read, it's necessary to relate this to the Trinity because it involves the relationship among the three in the Godhead, particularly of the Father and the Son. And second, I would point out that um, according to my understanding of Brother Lee's ministry, he is not reading or expounding the narrative in Mark 15 in isolation Mm. from the New Testament as a whole. And I appreciate this approach of reading Mark in the context of the New Testament and not only considering the outward physical, uh, visible facts and details, but viewing that account in the light of the spiritual reality of the death of Christ. So we view this account in Mark from this dual perspective of the Godhead involving the three persons and the total revelation in the New Testament regarding the significance of the all-inclusive death of Christ. What light there is in adopting this twofold approach to this portion of the Gospel of Mark. Well, Ron, uh, a good introduction. Let me set up the first portion we're about to hear, because Witness Lee here in this first segment develops the quandary. There is a theological question that's raised when you read more than just superficially this passage and consider it in light of some of these other portions that you referred to. And in this first section, he really is not going to answer the question, but I think he'll frame it very clearly, and then we'll be able to talk about it a bit more. Here's Witness Lee. Verse 34 says, at that ninth hour, that means right at 3 o'clock p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? Here is a big question. Did God leave Christ? The Lord did say God forsake him. That means God left. Uh But... He told us in John chapter 16, while he was on the earth, he was never alone. The Father was always with him, you see. And he came in the name of the Father, and he came with the Father. And uh, while he was on this earth, the Father was always with him. Not only so, he was always in the Father, and the Father was always in him. He and the Father are always one. He even told people that when people see him, they see the Father. This means he was never separated from the Father. He was never separated from God. But in this last hour of his crucifixion, he cried. He cried, my God, my God. Why did you forsake me? No doubt this indicated that God left him. And this causes a big problem in the so-called theology. Does this mean that Christ was left there no more having anything to do with God, just being a man there? You have to answer. If this was the case, then his redeeming power would not be eternal. 
there would be no divine element, eternal element in his redeeming power, because he was just there a man redeeming us. You see. Very interesting and perplexing consideration here, Ron. On the one hand, we know our understanding of the Trinity. It's a mystery. It's mysterious. But we do know this much. The three of the Godhead are eternally distinct, but they are not separate and cannot be separate. And he referred to a number of passages, several in John, that confirm this. Yet in some sense, according to this passage in Mark 15, the Father had to forsake him. Uh, So there's an apparent conflict here, isn't there? Uh, There is, and we should first acknowledge an apparent conflict. And in our fellowship, let's just go as far as Brother Lee went in this segment, because he'll have more to say. I think it's better that we hear his speaking directly and then uh, fellowship in light of it. But let's frame the question again. The Lord cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we must take this at face value, that God forsook him. And we know that this forsaking was necessary because during the three hours from noon to 3 p.m., the Lord was made sin for us. He was the sin offering. He fulfilled the type of the bronze serpent. And he was judged on our behalf, and God had to turn away from him because, in his sight, he was made sin for us. But back to the question of God forsaking him. How are we to understand this? We should not consider this the absolute withdrawal of the divine essence from the person of the God-man Jesus. Uh, That is not necessary, and that is not scriptural. When the Lord Jesus was born, his conception and birth were the issue of the divine essence mingled with the human essence to produce a God-man. If we think that... God forsook the Lord Jesus essentially, meaning that the divine essence was somehow extracted from his person, then the Lord Jesus would have been dying there as a mere man in the flesh. No doubt a sinless man, a righteous man, a perfect man. But his blood would have been limited in its effectiveness. There is no element to give it eternal efficacy. There would have been no element. So we must avoid the error of teaching and even thinking or suggesting that the divine essence in his person forsook him and he was a mere man. Uh, The scriptures clearly refer to his blood as the blood of Jesus, God's son. Therefore, we must consider it conclusive that when the Lord died on the cross, he was still the God-man. The divine essence was still in him, mingled with his human essence, to make him the God-man. Therefore, the leaving of God, of the Lord Jesus, 
must be explained in some other way. And that, we will see, is related to the anointing that was upon him, the spirit that was poured upon him economically as power for him to carry out his work. That spirit, as we will now see, came upon him and his baptism. And that spirit left him at a certain point in his crucifixion. And in that sense, God, who had been with him in and as the anointing, forsook him. But God remained within him. The divine essence remained mingled with his human essence. So he died as the God-man, but was nevertheless forsaken by God economically in the sense that the Spirit who was upon him withdrew from him. Well, Ron, that uh, last portion, I think, uh, gives us a good uh, setup for Witness Lee. As he's framed the question now, he sets out to give us a very, very plausible, reasonable, and logical answer. Here he is. Now, I just give you a little hint. When the Lord Jesus was conceived, he was conceived not of a man, right? with a virgin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit in a virgin. He was born of God in man. Now, after he was baptized, right after he came out of water, a voice came from the heaven saying, this is my beloved son, right? And then a dove soaring in the sky and descending upon him. That was the Holy Spirit. Now we have a problem here. Wasn't he born of the Spirit? Wasn't the Spirit a kind of essence of his being? In other words, before he was standing there, didn't he have the Holy Spirit within his being? Surely he had. Then how come that the Spirit still descending from above? Answer, yes, that's right. That's a wise answer to say, I don't know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Trinity is a mystery. If we can understand it, it is no more mystery. But the point is this. Before the Spirit descended upon him, he was both human and divine already, right? But when he began to minister, God anointed him. God anointed him with the Spirit, right? That means the Spirit descending upon him. Before that, he was divine already. He, as a man, a being both human and divine, within him, there was the very element, the very essence of God's divinity. Plus to that, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. So all the way in his three and a half years ministry, he acted not just by himself, human and divine, but also by the anointing spirit. Ron, I think we can just take a short amount of time to review again so that our listeners are clear. The final answer will come in our third portion today. 
But he raises this matter of two aspects of the Spirit and the Spirit's involvement with the conception of Christ and then later with the initiation of Jesus in his ministry. Maybe you could touch these two aspects of the Spirit. Okay, uh, touch we shall as best we can. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph received the word concerning the one to whom he was betrothed. Do not be afraid to take Mary your wife. For that which has been begotten in her is out from the Holy Spirit. And that word is supported by the words of Gabriel to Mary in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. She said, how can this be? I have not known a man. He said, the divine power will overshadow you and the Holy Spirit will operate in you and therefore the holy thing born, will be called the Son of God. The point is this, that the origin of the Lord Jesus as the God-man involved the Holy Spirit mingled with his humanity received through Mary. This relates to his essence, to his person. This is what made him the God-man. And in his very person, He is God and man, the mingling of divinity with humanity. That cannot change, that will never change, and that did not change when the Lord was on the cross crying out, My God, why have you forsaken me? The clue to what happened there and then on the cross is found with the account of Jesus' baptism. He, the Son of God, the God-man and the Son of Man, who had the Spirit within him as his divine essence, now received the Spirit upon him. The anointing was poured upon him for his ministry. And under the power of the Spirit, he ministered. We're about at the stopping point to go to the last segment We are focused now on this anointing spirit. God is the spirit upon the Lord Jesus for his work and ministry. This is going to be the key to our understanding in what sense God forsook him when he was made sin for us on the cross. All right. With that, let's get to the final piece of the puzzle. Here's Witness Lee with our third segment. I believe at that time, the anointing spirit left. You see, at the time of his baptism, the anointing spirit descended upon him. Don't forget, before that time, he had the divine element within him already. And this never left him. This was his being. You see, even on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why you forsook me? While he was speaking this, he still had the divine essence. Then what left him? What left him? The anointing spirit. Even though the anointing spirit left him, he still have the divine essence. You see? That was not merely a death of man. That was the death of a God-man. So in his death, there is the eternal effectiveness. There is the eternal power for redemption. 
Otherwise, how could one man die for so many men? Right? Man is limited. Man is not eternal. If that was merely a man's death, that death is just limited. It can be a substitute for one man. It can never be substituted for millions of men. But that death was not merely the death of man, but the death of a God-man. So that is the eternal death, right? Accomplishing the eternal redemption. Having the eternal power, eternal effectiveness. He presented himself as the God-man by the eternal spirit. Then after God accepted that offering and counted him as a sinner to be our substitute, eternal substitute, God, no doubt, in that three hours, as the Holy Spirit, God forsook him. But he still was a God-man dying there. That was not merely man dying there. That was a God-man dying there. You see, in his death, there was the divine, eternal element. So his death is the eternal death that accomplishes the eternal redemption, having the eternal power with the eternal effectiveness. Hallelujah. You know, Ron, I'm thinking of some of our listeners, and I hope that no one is... uh occupied with the thought that this is just a kind of a intriguing theological question, but what's the relevance? Actually, the relevance is just deeply profound. As I was listening to that, I thought of a verse in Acts chapter 20 where it says that the church was purchased with God's own blood. That means there is a divine element here involved, isn't there? And without that, the nature of our salvation changes completely. Uh, Absolutely. This is a matter of the faith, not a matter of... um peripheral doctrines. This is a matter of the faith concerning the person and work of Christ. If we think that when God left, forsook the Lord Jesus, that the Lord's divinity departed from him, then we're left with the death of a mere man. A man who is sinless and righteous could die on behalf of another person, But because of the inherent limits of humanity, he could not die for millions. Humanity is not capable of that. The effectiveness of the Lord's death would have been severely limited. It never would have reached us. We would be doomed. But even though God left him in the sense of the anointing spirit leaving him, the divine essence never left him. So in his person, even as he was breathing his last... He was the God-man. And the blood he shed is called by Paul God's blood. God who is spirit cannot have blood. But God in the God-man has human blood because it takes human blood for redemption. But this blood must be the blood of Jesus, God's Son, so that there is an eternal quality and efficacy to that blood. 
in the words of 1 John 1, 7, as we here in the studio are walking in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, is continually cleansing us from every sin. This is a great matter of the faith. To understand this in the light of the word about God forsaking him requires what we may call thoughtful reflection, even theological reflection upon the scriptures. But the function of this reflection is to help us to have a divine and clear and accurate understanding of our Redeemer and of our redemption. And as a result, we will love him more, Mm. appreciate him more, worship him more, praise him more, that he, the God-man, Jesus, God's Son, died on the cross as the sin offering, that we would be redeemed, that our sins would be forgiven, and that we would have eternal life, the life that was in him as a grain of wheat and released through his death, and in this life be the body of Christ, the one new man, the kingdom of God, the bride of Christ, and ultimately, the new Jerusalem. How wonderful redemption is. So goes the hymn in our hymnal. How wonderful our Redeemer is. Praise Him. Oh, amen, amen, and amen. Well, uh, I'd love to linger here. We're going to come back here in our next program. We are not done yet in our consideration of this inexhaustible, eternally, all effectual blood. And so don't miss our coming program. I think it will be equally enlightening and full of much help, hope, and encouragement. Good to have you as always, Ron. Hope you'll come back soon. I look forward to it. And uh, we'd like to invite you to contact us quickly. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Ron Kingus, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Do you want to know the deeper truths of the Bible? Wish you could attend a Bible study, but just don't have the time? Well, if you enjoyed this program, then we invite you to visit our website at lsmradio.com. From there, you'll find programs on every book of the Bible and all free of charge. These programs will not only give you a more profound understanding of the scriptures, but also refresh and revitalize your daily Christian walk. From our website, you can download the MP3 files, stream them live, or subscribe to the podcast. Again, all free of charge. Once more, that website, lsmradio.com. Thanks again for listening. How can I be saved when I live and work in such a degraded situation? And with many other words, he solemnly testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this crooked generation. Acts chapter 2 verse 40. Salvation is to be carried out by God, but man needs to be active to receive what God intends to do. At the time of Pentecost, everything concerning God's full salvation had been prepared, and the Holy Spirit was poured out as the application and full blessing of God's salvation, ready for man to receive. In this matter, God is waiting for man, 
and man needs to take the initiative. Man, be saved. Scripture, Acts 2, verse 40, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.